Now, um, in Ephesians, we've been looking at this book because it helps us to think about and revisit what is church? Why do we meet together as a church? What is church all about? And Paul has gone into detail on that on these last few chapters on what it means to be believers together in the church. And now Paul has come to, uh, to pray for those he loves so much in Ephesus. You'll notice that this is where he started last week in chapter 3 verse 1. Paul says, for this reason I, and then we see in chapter 14, uh, verse 14 again, for this reason I, so he got a bit distracted last week, he went off on a bit of a tangent, and now he is back to pray. And as we look at this prayer, it is going to help us as we pray for each other. I wonder if you, somebody's ever asked you, will you pray for me? Or maybe you've heard somebody say, oh, I'm going to be praying for you. Sometimes in those moments, you might wonder, well, what am I going to pray? You might say to somebody, I'll pray for you, and you think, well, what do I pray? What is prayer all about? Well, this passage is going to help us, because as we start this passage, we realise that Paul has a big view of God. <laughs> a big view of God's power, a big view of his might, and when he realizes that God is powerful and he knows that he is weak, then he begins to truly pray. Because look what you see in verse 16. He is asking this, his request that he's going to ask, he is asking according to the riches of his glory. So according to the riches of God's power and glory, Paul is going to pray. Now, say this morning that you wanted a lot of money, and you said, um, I am going to be rich according to Andrew's riches. Well, that is not a good place to put your hope in your riches. Okay, it is not. But if you then say, no, I want to be rich, and I'm going to put my hope in the riches of Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. Well, that's a good place to put your hope in your riches because there's a lot of money there. Yeah, my, uh, and Paul is saying, according to the riches of the glory of God. He's the one I'm asking here. He's all powerful. But that little illustration falls down, doesn't it? I don't know how many of us have got Elon Musk's phone number in our phones or have access to him. We don't, do we? We don't know him. He's far away and distant. So even though we might have a, a, a cupboards full of money, we haven't got access to them. But look what we're told about this all-glorious God in verse 14. He is the Father. So Paul is bowing his knees before the Father. And he's saying, I'm praying to somebody who has the power and the glory, but also listens and cares for us. He cares for us and wants what's best for us. So I am praying to one who has the power to do um, anything, but the one who cares about us enough as well to want to do those things. Now, when it comes to prayer for us, I wonder how we're doing in our prayer life. It's such an exposing thing to ask, isn't it? How much do we pray? Because the, the truth we see here is this. Paul was aware of the power of God, and he knew that he needed God's help because he was weak. And that's when he prayed. Prayer is when we see our weakness and see God's power, when we see God's love for us and his desire to help us, and we see our need. To the extent we see those things, that's how much we're going to pray. So this all-powerful God, this all-loving Father wants to hear our prayers. So what should we ask for? What should be on our prayer list? What should be our priorities? Well, as we look at what Paul prays for here, it surprises us. This isn't Paul coming to kind of make a wish to a genie. This isn't Paul kind of saying, oh, I, I want this, but he comes and he prays specific things for this people and for this church. So what can we pray for each other? Here's two suggestions from this passage. We could pray for the power to change. Pray for the power to change. Look what Paul prays 
for the church in Ephesus in verse 16. He prays that according to these riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. So Paul is praying, I want you to be strengthened to do something. And what's the first thing you want something to be strengthened to do? Through your inner being, through, that's talking about our hearts. He wants our hearts, who we are, um, uh, what makes us who we are, where our decisions come from. He wants us to know this help. And he is praying, what does he pray? That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Paul is praying that the power of God would be used to help these believers have Christ dwell in their hearts. Now, what is going on here? What is he actually praying? Well, you might think, well, they're Christians, so isn't Christ in their hearts anyway? You know, why does Paul pray for, pray for God's power to help Christ dwell when he dwells in the hearts of Christians anyway, doesn't he? Well, the word dwell really helps us here, because it's not a, dwell isn't a word which you kind of pop in and out somewhere, is it? It's not a fleeting visit. If you dwell with someone, you live with them. Um, you know you, you are with them in an established way. So one way of saying it is this. Paul is praying that Christ would make his home in the hearts of Christians. And the idea is this. As Christ dwells in our hearts, more and more he makes his home there. More and more it becomes like him. So you imagine a couple, they get married and they um, save together some money for a deposit on a house, and uh, they move into the house, but the house is a bit of a mess. The wallpaper in the bedroom is not to their taste. There's rubbish all over the floor in the living room. The kitchen is in a mess and in a state. There's leaks in the roof. There's electricity problems, you know, lots of things going on that's, that's a mess. The central heating system doesn't work anymore. And a few months go by. And what happens? Well, slowly, bit by bit, room by room, the house begins to change. The wallpaper now is no longer the style it was uh, when they moved in, uh, 20 years ago style, but it's something that they liked, they chose. The kitchen now is more suited to their needs. The roof is fixed a few months down the line. There's a new boiler, new radiators fitted. Uh, you know, most of the work is done and it gradually, it gets better place to be. Like imagine that couple after 25 years of living in that house. Maybe the husband turns to his wife and says, you know, I really like it here. It suits us. This is our taste. You know, this, this house is shaped to our needs, our comforts, our personality, and I really feel at home. Now, can you see how that can help us when we think what it means for Christ to dwell in our hearts? When someone becomes a Christian, Christ by his spirit dwells in that person's heart. But really, our lives, when we become Christians, are morally like that house, aren't they? You know, there's things in our lives that don't, don't suit Jesus. They don't sit well with him, because that's not what he wants for us. It's not what's best for us. And so he sets about making our hearts his home. Bit by bit, he wants to transform our lives and our hearts from the inside out to somewhere where he can say, you know, this is my home. I'm happy here. Can you see the point? Paul isn't praying that God would help us, um, that he's praying, sorry, that, that God would help us by his power, by his spirit, for Christ to dwell in our hearts and make it more a place where he feels at home. Why? So our house can be somewhere where, our house, our heart can be somewhere where Christ can dwell. He's praying for the power to change. Because as Christ dwells in our hearts, he points out things in one room. You need to sort this out. This is something that is damaging your life and those around you. You need to change this. This is something that hurts my heart and isn't best. You need to do this. 
Christ dwells in our heart. And how does it happen? Look at verse 17. He dwells in our heart through faith. We grow in our trust of, of Jesus. We want uh, what He wants because we know what He knows what's best for us. We love Him and we trust Him. So we don't think Jesus is saying this, oh, I don't really trust that He wants what's best. But we know and we know that He loves us. So the question for us as we think of that this morning, we're praying, one good thing to pray for ourselves and each other is that God would give us the power to change. So is your heart and is my heart looking more like a dwelling place of Christ than it was a few months ago or a few years ago? What does it look like? Well, hear this in Colossians 3. Paul there is writing to another church in Colossae and he says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you must put away all anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So that's what it used to look like. That's what Christ doesn't want. So what does he want? Well, put on then, Paul says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we get a glimpse there, don't we, of a heart that Christ dwells in and, and, and feels at home in. Now, you might see that with some people, uh, some Christians as they get older, their outward kind of shell is um, growing older and weaker, but their inner being is growing more glorious every day. You know, God has promised that if He has started a work in us, He will bring it through to completion. And as we trust in Jesus, as we have this faith in Him, He will transform our lives from the inside out. Now, do you trust Him? That's the first question. We can only grow in our uh, trust of Christ and our faith of Christ if we really do trust Him and know that He's good. Are you happy to say to Jesus, do whatever it takes to, make your, uh, to, to dwell in my heart? Whatever needs to go, tell me. You see, when we put it down like that, isn't a part of us sometimes that says, oh, not everything. There's some things I want to keep hold of. There's some things that I don't want Jesus to say. Because what are we saying there? Deep down, we don't trust him. We think we know what's best. How do we get rid of our doubts? And how do we grow in our trust for Jesus? How do we know that he loves us and wants what's best for us? See what he did to rescue and save you. See what he gave up. Jesus gave up everything for you. He gave his life so that you could be forgiven, so that you could know access uh, to God, so you could be sure of heaven. He did all of that for you. He did that to show us and expose the destructiveness of sin, to show us that it is not what's best for us, but that he loves us. So flee sin and run to Jesus. I wonder in our lives, are there areas that we're saying no to Jesus? If we picture that house again, do we, are there some rooms that we say, no entry, Jesus, that's mine. I'm keeping that. Can you imagine the situation where you were um, showing somebody around the house? Maybe you're getting a lodger. And you say, right, I'm going to show you around the house. Now, this is the, this is the kitchen. 
So it was lovely, yeah, great. This is the dining room and uh, that's the lounge in there. Lovely, great. And this is our uh, toilet, bathroom. Lovely, okay. This is one bedroom. And there's another door and you just skip it. And then they show you the other bedroom then you come downstairs. So any, any questions? It's like, well, there's a, there was a room upstairs. We didn't go in. What, what was in there? It's like, oh, that's where we keep the tiger. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, we, we keep the wild tiger in that room. And um, it's like, well, would that person want to come and lodge with you? Probably not. Because in that room is something dangerous, something wild, something deadly. You can't just tuck it away and think it doesn't make bear any difference on the rest of the house. Sometimes in our lives we think, oh, if I just tuck away a bit of sin here, something that I know Jesus doesn't like, but you know, it's not doing any damage really. We are on the path to destruction. Because sin in, in its very nature consumes. It is wild. Like a fire doesn't just stay in one place, it consumes, it breaks out. Let's not think that we can keep certain areas of our life hidden from Christ. He knows it all, and He loves us, and He wants every bit to be transformed more into His liking and likeness. So Paul's first thing that he prays to them is like, he prays that they are transformed, that they have power, the power to change, that the glory of God, the power at work within us can be, transform, can be transforming our lives. Now, maybe this morning you're here and you're not a Christian. And you think it's a bit strange hearing all this Christ dwelling in our hearts. What, what's going on here? Well, listen to what's not being said. Sometimes we can think a Christian is somebody who um, has to be a better person, does religious things, and changes on the outside, um, and then that's what a Christian is, doing better things. But look what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who says, I cannot do this. I need Jesus to help me. And when we come to Jesus and say, I, I, forgive me for all the wrong I've done, he can change us from the inside out. We don't become a Christian by doing good things and hoping that God will love us. We become a Christian by saying, God, I can't do anything good on my own. Will you change me? Will you help me? It's really important that we see the right way around because often we can forget that and we can miss that and think, oh, actually, it's all about what I do. But this morning, if you're not a Christian, here, Jesus says to you, come as you are and let me come and dwell in your heart to give you hope, and help from the inside out. Maybe you can see in your life, you've tried everything else to change. There are things in your life that you've said, I, I need help with this, and you don't know where to turn. Jesus, the all-powerful one, comes today and says, let me dwell in your heart. Let me help you. Let me walk alongside you. So the first thing that Paul prays here is the power to change. So as we pray for each other, let's pray that God would help us to have hearts where Christ dwells, where we show that fruit of the Spirit, where we show more of what he is like, all by his power and grace. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The second prayer that we can pray for each other is this. The power to grasp Christ's love for us. So Paul, remember what he's saying. According to the rich of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, verse 16, through his spirit in your inner being. He wants us to know power from God to do what? First of all, to be transformed. But secondly, that you may, uh, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. So we have access to the whole power of God. And what do we need help to understand? How much Jesus loves us. Now, that's a surprising thing, isn't it? We have access to all this power and Paul prays that you get to know that God loves you that Christ loves you. Why is it surprising? Well, because a three-year-old can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible 
tells me so. It's a simple thing to say, isn't it? It's something that is basic. And yet, here we're being told there is so much more to that truth. A three-year-old can know and understand, but a 90-year-old can know and understand as well. You know, there is something glorious because however much you think God loves you, however much you think he does this morning, he loves you more. And there is more to know of his love. This is not a love that we just learn about academically. It's not a love that there's an exam paper on. Here is a love that you just don't hear about and then say, tick, I know that, Jesus loves me. No, it is a love, verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. It's something bigger than just knowing in our head. So however much you think he loves you, he loves you more. As you go on in your Christian life, there is always more to know and experience of the love of God. Now, maybe over this last week, over the last few months, you've doubted that God loves you. Perhaps you've gone through tough situations, dark circumstances, and wondered, God, do you really care? How could you love me if this has happened? Or perhaps you've failed, and you've done things that you know God hates. And you think, God, do you still love me now, even though I've done this? See, we can doubt and forget God's love. And we need, we all need a fresh awareness of how good his love is for us. And we can't, we really can't underestimate how important this is to grasp and understand more of Christ's love for us. Because look at the consequences of knowing this love. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, verse 19. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants you to be spiritually mature, to grow. And unless we grasp the limitless dimensions of Christ's love for us, we won't grow anymore. Do you understand how much Christ loves us? And not just know in your mind, but experience in your heart the reality that you are loved with an everlasting love. Listen to um, how John Owen, a Puritan, wrote about it. He said this, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father the greatest unkindness you could do to him. What is the greatest sorrow you could lay on God's heart? What is the thing that could be the greatest unkindness? How would you fill that gap in there? Well, listen to how John Owen writes it. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. He goes on to say, many saints have no greater burden in their lives than their heart do not constantly delight and rejoicing God. There is still in them a resistance to walking close with him. So do this. Set your thoughts on the eternal love of the Father and see if your heart is not aroused to delight in him. Sit down for a while at this delightful spring of living water and you will soon find its streams sweet and delightful. You who used to run from God will now not be able for even a second to keep any distance from him. See, our growth as Christians is directly related to how much we understand and know that Christ loves us. To the extent we know and experience his love is how much we'll grow and be transformed in our Christian life. See, the Christ, knowing that God loves us and uh, knowing the love of Christ for us in the gospel isn't just the basics. You can sometimes think, isn't it? Oh, well, we sing that with the toddlers. We sing that with children. I've moved on from that now, haven't we? Well, no. In 1 Peter 1, and we mentioned this last week a little, uh, there Peter is talking about the gospel, the good news. And he says, these are things which angels 
long to look into. They can't get enough of trying to understand this amazing love that God has for us. These, these beings who are um, glorious, who have capacities beyond ours, I'm sure, in their minds, they cannot get their heads around that God loves us as much as He does. So whether you've been a Christian uh, for a few weeks or months, or whether you've been a Christian for decades, can you see there is always going to be more for us to know and experience of the love of God for us? Now, when was the last time that you prayed for an awareness of God's love, a fresh awareness of it? When was the last time you prayed that for someone else? I'll be praying for you this week. What will you be praying? I'll be praying that you grasp something more of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. When was the last time we prayed like that? You know, the truth is this awareness of God's love rarely comes from us when we're on our own, kind of away from the Bible or when we're isolated. Look what it says in verse 18 that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the different dimensions of God's love. So there's something that happens together. There's something that we can help one another with. God might reveal, reveal something of, to you of his love that you can share with someone else. Look how God has shown and loved me this week. Look how God has shown me and loved me this week and through this situation. It's a community effort as we grow together to grasp more of this love. So perhaps we can sometimes when um, kind of pull away from other Christians, can't we, and, uh, and isolate ourselves. Well, we shouldn't be surprised then if we don't grow in our knowledge of the love of God. Because God wants us to do this together with all the saints, with all the believers. God's love is so glorious and great that there's always more to know. And look at verse 18 again. He says that, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, height, and depth, and to know that love of Christ surpasses knowledge. What is the breadth of God's love? How broad is it? How wide is it? You know, it's not restricting any type of person. Anybody is welcome to come to Jesus. Whatever background, whatever history, anybody is welcome. That's how wide the love of God is. God loves you, whatever you've done, whatever your background. What is the length of God's love then? Well, what does it mean when we say God's, how long God's love is? Well, when did God's love for you begin? When did it start? Well, the Bible tells us that it begin, began before the foundation of the world. So when will it end? Well, the love that God has for us will never end. He promises to love us from uh, eternity past to the future. It's an everlasting love. That means his love never changes. It never goes up and down. He'll never stop loving us because it is eternal, it is secure, it is forever. Isn't it wonderful to think God knows all about you? He's promised to love you now and forever, which means that nothing that happens in your life will take God by surprise. There's no sin that you've committed that God says, oh, hang on then, I'm gonna stop loving you now. He knows about it already. You are secure and you are safe in his love. His love doesn't ebb and flow. His love isn't dependent on our love for him. He loves us with a constant, forever love. There is nothing you can do to stop him loving you. That means there's nothing you can do to be separated from his love. As Romans 8 wonderfully ends, isn't it? I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, 
things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How long is God's love? It's a forever love. It'll never end. What about the depth of God's love? The depth of God's love. What does it mean that God's love is deep? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Well, think of who Jesus is. The Son of God. The, the Prince of Heaven. And Philippians 2, remember, said he let go of that. He didn't hold on to that. That was something he, held, he grasped onto, but he let go of it, and he ended up being born as a nobody in Bethlehem. Ended up being brutally killed on a cross. He became somebody who people despised and hated. Why? In order to save and rescue you and me. That's how deep his love is. That's how deep it goes. What about the height then? We've looked at the breadth and length and depth. What about the height? How high is God's love? Well, think of where, our, um, where we're headed. We are headed to glory, to reign with him, to be with him forever. John 17, Jesus prays that we get to see the glory of Christ that I had before um, I came. We'll be with him forever, seeing that glory. So his love is amazing. His love is glorious. And our prayer must be, Lord, however high and wide and deep and uh, whatever the other one was, please, Lord, help us to grasp it. We need it. This is how um, in Don Carson, in his book, he talks about this prayer. He's a commentator, and he talks about this prayer, and and talks about a man who experiences the love of God in a wonderful way. And there's lots of people you can read over the uh, church history who have these moments just of where God's love is made real to them. Torian of Andrus in the 19th, um, late 19th and early 20th century in America. He, he was seeking God's face and he said, One day while reading the Bible and praying, I was so overwhelmed with a profound consciousness of God's love that I just began to weep and weep. And I asked God to show him, show me no more. I couldn't bear it. Just an awareness that God loves me. Or Daniel Steele, he'd been a Christian for 28 years. And he came to know the love of Christ like this. He said, almost every week, sometimes every day, the pressure of his great loves comes down upon my heart in such a measure as to make my brain throb and my whole being, soul and body groan beneath the strain of the almost insupportable plethora of joy. And yet amid this fullness, there is a hunger for more. And amid the consuming flame of love, the paradoxical cry is ever on my lips, burn, O oh, burn, O oh, love, within my heart. Burn fiercely night and day till all the dross of earthly loves is burnt and burned away. Time where Spurgeon says, I have to ask God to stay his hand because I was just so aware of his love and I couldn't carry on if, if I had any more. Maybe you're struggling to believe that God loves you this morning. Pray that by his spirit, this, even now in this moment, he would remind you and assure you that you are loved by him. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you're wondering, does, does he love me? Am I included in this deep, glorious, wide, high, deep love? Now listen to what John um, tells us in his letter. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. How do you know that God loves you? look at the cross. Keep gazing at the cross. Jesus gave it up for you at a real point in history, a real time, and he did that because you are deeply loved by him. 
So when Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, can you see he is aware of the power and the glory of God and that he's the Father who loves us. And he says, I want to pray two things for you. I want to pray you and be transformed from the inside out, changed. And I pray that you grasp the love of God. And what a wonderful thing for us to be praying, that, that God would help us to be transformed, to be a place, our hearts to be a place where Christ dwells. But as well that we would be changed from the inside out as we grasp more and more of this eternal, glorious, never stopping, never giving up love of Christ. Now, when we think of those requests, they're pretty big, aren't they? Maybe you think of the thought of Christ dwelling in your heart and thinking, but there's things in my life I just can't seem to change. I'd love to know more of the love of Christ, but I've been a Christian so long, I, maybe it's too late for me. But you see, Paul grasps and wants us to know that anything is possible with God. More than you can ask or dream or imagine. That's the God we come to. And that's why he prays to finish. You see the last couple of verses. These are his requests. Transform us inside out. Help us to know the love of Christ. But that's too big, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see, we've got a God who is limitless in power, who can do beyond what we can ask or think or dream. So let's pray big prayers to our glorious God. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. This is our God. Let's pray for each other this week, these things, and let's pray that our lives are transformed from the inside out and that those around us would see just how great Jesus is and how much he loves them. Let's pray before we uh, sing our final hymn. Father, we do thank you so much that you love us so dearly. We thank you for the love revealed in Christ, and we pray that by your Spirit now, you would help us to have a taste of the assurance of that love. Lord, we recognize again that this love is one which is a deep and wide, which is high and long, and it is surpassing knowledge. Lord, we pray that as we look through the week and the months ahead, that we will be excited that we get to experience and know more of your love together. And we pray that you'd help us to do this for your glory's sake and in Jesus' name. Amen.